Good morning, Every Nation Church Vancouver. Pastor Perry here from Every Nation Church in Seattle, just a little bit south of you guys. I wanna just say a warm welcome to all of you. Thank you for opening your homes and your hearts uh, for me to bring God's word to you this morning. It is a joy to be with you. I wanna say uh, hello to Pastor Greg and Debbie Mitchell. Um, they're dear friends and mentors of both myself and my wife, Danielle. Um, we've been blessed by your mentorship and your encouragement over the years, both in our marriage, but also our leadership in our church. We have greatly benefited from you, and I just wanna say uh, a welcome to you guys as well, and thank you for sowing into our lives and our church. We're better for it. Now, I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you this morning, and uh, before we get into that, I just wanna say a brief thank you as well for all of you who have prayed for us down in the U.S. As you know, we've been through some rough times as a nation, and uh, it looks like, by God's grace, I don't have to move to Vancouver to join you now and, and can stay here in the U.S., so I'm very grateful for that, but you never know. We'll see. So keep praying for us and uh, appreciate all that you have done for us. Now, we're going to get into God's Word this morning, and as you know, uh, 2020 has been probably the most disruptive year in many of our lives. Um, many of us have experienced it in different ways. But I know all of us have been affected deeply by it in many ways. Some people I've actually heard uh, say that they've um, actually thrived somewhat in isolation and through the pandemic that we've all been through. But actually, I found that most people, that's not the case, that they've thrived. In fact, I'm really curious when I talk to people, I love to ask these questions. So I'm curious about this for you as well. Through this long pandemic we've been in, have you felt the, just the disorientation that comes from the moment we've lived in, in such a way that even in some of your days, have you ever found yourself really struggling to think clearly? Whether it's about your work or your family or your church or anything, it's just a, a real challenge. Um, I certainly have had my moments like that. But uh, have you also just experience not just the disorientation, but just the discouragement that comes with the grief over everything. And, um, but, but such its impact in your life has been in such a way that maybe you found yourself not acting like your normal self. In other words, like maybe your normal emotional reactions to challenges or problems or relationships, you're finding a lot more difficult and you're acting differently than you normally do. Maybe you find yourself more irritable, easily angered, easy to be frustrated um, uh, and sad and, and just experiencing even a loss of joy and just normal day-to-day -day things or relationships and things that normally you would be a different kind of person. I found for myself and those I talked to that a lot of that's been true, that throughout this whole pandemic, we've actually not been our best selves and we know it. And when we face that kind of challenge, you know, deep down, I think we all long to be faithful to God, to be faithful to each other in our work and our relationships, to show up and be the kind of people we know God's called us to be. But I know for some of us in this whole thing, we also have watched some of our habits fall off. Not just our emotional state and how we react and treat people, but our, our habits, maybe our health habits of, of our spiritual habits of being with God regularly in the word and in prayer or in community with each other, that's been challenging. Um, but also maybe even help for our own body. I say all this to kind of open this conversation with the fact of recognizing that through all of this, I don't think we've been our best selves. And I think it's led to our being, in many ways, unfaithful to God in ways and unfaithful to each other. And it's really challenging. 
I think it's left us wrestling with that sense of, man, unfaithfulness. Well, this morning, what I want to talk to you about is actually not our unfaithfulness, but actually how we actually find grace and hope in looking at the God who's faithful. I think that's a better place to start because if we want to return to being the people we know we're called to be and we want to be, I think we need to look deeply at the faithfulness of God. So what we're going to do this morning is uh, I want to show you three places in the scriptures where God reveals himself as the God who's faithful. I want to look at the implications of uh, what it means if we're trusting God's faithfulness in our daily life, the implications of that, and how that affects us. And then lastly, I want to conclude with looking at how do we reorient ourselves to seeing God faithfully. And here's the key thing you're going to see throughout this today, is that when we trust God's faithfulness, we actually become more faithful people ourselves. When we trust God's faithfulness, we become faithful people. I want to open up in prayer and we're going to get into God's word. So Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray that you would meet us today in your word, that you would open up the scriptures to us and help us see how important it is to trust your faithfulness so that we become faithful people ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the first places in the Bible where we see God's faithfulness made known and proclaimed is in Exodus chapter three. Many of you are probably familiar with the story. Um, it is where we meet Moses, who has been tending sheep on the backside of a mountain in a place called Midian for like, what, 40 years. And for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the story, I'm gonna jump into it just for a second, is that Moses is we find him tending sheep in the wilderness, and he's been there for 40 years, but that's not where he started. Moses actually is an Israelite, but he grew up in Egypt. He grew up in the palace of actually the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, which at that time was the most powerful militaristic and cultural power in the world. While growing up in that palace and that scenario, every day he would go out and he would witness the very fact that his very own people, the Israelites, were uh, brutally treated in slavery for many, many years. And one day, I think Moses lost it. He began to see another, an Egyptian beating an Israelite and he just couldn't take it anymore. He, he just, he broke and he, he goes out and he murders this guy. He kills him in cold blood and ends up running for his life, uh, hiding out in, out in the wilderness and staying out there for a long time away until the king, that Pharaoh had died away. And in Exodus three, we find Moses actually tending his sheep as he's run away from his past, and he notices a bush is burning. Now, that's pretty normal for shepherds in the desert and the wilderness um, in that part of the world. And so nothing unusual there, but the bush that he saw did not burn up. It was burning, but it didn't burn up in the actual tree itself. And so he turns aside, he goes to that bush, and out of the bush, um, God, the creator of the universe, speaks to Moses. And he says this to him, and he reveals himself relationally, saying, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. So we first meet him, we see that God is the one who's 
who sees the cries of his people. He sees misery and suffering. And we find that this God cares. And then he turns to Moses and says, I'm, now I'm sending you to Pharaoh. I want you to go, Moses, and rescue them out of this place. But Moses, like many of us, if God asks us to go do some great task, immediately says, well, who am I to go to Pharaoh and do this? I mean, don't you know who I am? I'm the guy who ran from that scenario. I'm the guy who blew up and murdered a guy and, and been running for 40 years. Don't you know? I'm not that faithful to take on a task such as this. But then God comes to him and he says, listen, I'm going to send you. And Moses continues to question. If I come to the people and I say to them, the God of my fathers has sent me, uh, what is your name? Um, what am I to tell them is sending me? And this is where God begins to reveal himself relationally to Moses and to the rest of Israel. When Moses asked the question, what is his name or your name? He isn't just asking about what his name is. He's asking, God, what are you like? What makes you you that I can tell people the God of our fathers is like? is sending me. And God says this amazing phrase to him. He says to him, replies, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. It's Exodus verse three, chapter three, verse 14. And that word there, I am that I am in Hebrew is a yea, a share, a yea. I am that I am. Or a, another translation would be, I will be, what I will be. This is the poignant, like driving the, the point home that, that God is saying, I'm the faithful one. In other words, what I am in my nature and my character, you can count on that I always will be to you. What I was to Abraham and his story, Isaac and Jacob and their stories, I will be to you, Moses. In other words, 24-7, I'll be consistent. You can count on me to be the same always, no matter if you're unfaithful or not, or that you're insecure or not, or you mess up in your life or not. He says, Moses, I'm the faithful one. And I love this. And he says, aye, asher aye, I am that I am. And he wants Moses and all of God's people for all God's time to know this is the God who's faithful and never changes. And God tells him, this is my name. You're to be known through all generations. You're to call me this name, Yahweh, which means he is. Now let's go to the second place where God reveals his faithfulness is actually fast forward a few years uh, on Mount Sinai where Israel uh, has been liberated from slavery um, and if you want to watch a really good movie, go watch Disney's movie, The Prince of Egypt, because it shows the story beautifully, and it's a great thing to go watch. But that's where we pick up the next part of the story, is at Mount Sinai, after they've been liberated, uh, Moses is brought, brought up to the mountain, and this is the climax, and believed by many theologians to be the climax in the Old Testament, where God ultimately reveals not only his name, but his character relationally, as he is with God's people. It's so significant that it's believed to be the most quoted part of the Bible by the Bible. In other words, Psalms and the prophets, and even in the New Testament, this one place that we're going to look at is quoted most often to describe the God who creates and redeems. So it's a very important moment uh, in the history of our faith. 
But when God reveals, and what you're going to see is how God reveals, again, one of the central characteristics of who he is, is that he's faithful. So here's Moses. He's preparing. He's going up on this mountain. Um, They've been freed. And God is telling him, now I want you to lead the people into the promised land. It's time for you to lead my people out of this wilderness into the promised land that I've been told to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm going to pick up, and I'm going to be faithful to what I said before. I'm going to guide you and lead you into this space. But Moses is still afraid and insecure because he knows that not only has he been unfaithful in ways, but so God's people have been unfaithful in ways, he's, and, and so he's nervous. But he, in that place of insecurity... He asks God's presence to never leave him and to go with him. That he doesn't even want to go up into the land and have all these things without God's presence being with him. And so God tells him, I want you to come up on that mountain. And he says, I'm going to show you my glory, which is what Moses prayed for. And this is the space where God reveals the second part of the fact that he's faithful. In verse 5, we read in Exodus chapter 34, The God, then the Lord came down in the cloud, and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh in Hebrew, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, I want these words to sink in for a moment with you. This is relational language. God doesn't show up and say he's omnipresent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. He doesn't use these big language, theological words. He describes himself relationally. And he confirms what he said earlier to Moses, but he clarifies What he means by, if he's faithful, he'll always be what he'll always be. This actually clarifies what he'll be. What you can count on him to always be to you. And here's what he says in these words. He reveals himself the compassionate one. The one who's compassionate towards our weaknesses, our unfaithfulness. He's gracious towards us and our failings. He's actually slow to anger toward our own failings and unfaithfulness. And he says he's abounding in this key phrase, loyal love and faithfulness. And they go together. He says this kind of unending love and steadfastness and faithfulness to always be true to be the same to us. He will do that for thousands of those who love him, and generations of those who love him. And he forgives our wickedness, our rebellion, and our sin. I love this because God is proclaiming to Moses and for the rest of God's people for all time that he's the one person you can count on to be the same. He's not like you and me or those we live with or around us who are flat out inconsistent, who've not been our best selves uh, throughout a pandemic and who continually aren't. We let each other down, we let ourselves down, we let God down in our unfaithfulness, but you can count on this, that this is how God will always be to you and to me. It's beautiful. Now, I wanna lean into this one point before we move on, 
And it's this, that in all God's faithfulness, he says, he's going to always forgive. He's going to always forgive sin. That he doesn't stop forgiving those who continually mess up and come back to him in repentance and sorrow and say, God, I'm sorry, genuinely turning from and say, hey, make me new again. He doesn't turn away from anybody who does that. My goodness, this is what it means for God to be faithful. I am that I am. And this is how you can count on me to always be with you. Now, why is this good news for Moses? Why is it good news for you and me? Well, think for a minute with me about Moses is the fact that all he had seen up until this point was the unfaithfulness of God's people. It was very discouraging. I mean, he saw them doubt in the wilderness God's faithfulness to care for them and provide for them, whether it was water or food or protection and safety from foreign powers. They doubted him. In fact, they grumbled and they complained a lot when things didn't go their way or God didn't provide in the way they thought he should provide. But he provided anyway, just through different means. And they were put in these places of hardship and testing and they had to trust God when things didn't go their way. And we know they failed over and over again. They even believed that God wasn't faithful, but was out to kill them because life had gotten so hard. I don't know if you've ever been in that place, but uh, that's a scary place to be, right? But I want you to see, Moses not only saw their unfaithful, he knew of his own. Moses knew he, he had failed so much. He had doubted and trust God's calling multiple times, right? Um, he'd had times where he got really angry with God's people and, um, and we'll see before the story and after the story where he, he breaks out in anger and he sins um, as a leader and uh, it's really messy. But I want you to notice every time that they were unfaithful, both God's people or Moses, they were unfaithful primarily because they didn't trust God's faithfulness. They were believing the wrong things about God and it was believing the wrong things about God that maybe he's not good, maybe he's not trustworthy. I don't know that I could trust him for these things. And so that's what led them into disobedience and unfaithfulness, as we say. Why is it important to Moses? Is because Moses needed to know that the God who's the I am, he needed to know what his character and nature was like so that he could truly trust him to now move from this wilderness place into a promised land where there's gonna be giants and other battles and things they're gonna have to face. It's not over yet. Moses was gonna have to know he could trust this God. He would be the same to them continually to forgive them, not give up on them, not quit on them, not forsake them, not leave them. He'll stay with us. He'll bear with us and he'll forgive our sin over and over and over again as far as the curse is found. So far would his forgiveness flow. Now, he needed to know that truth and we need to know this truth. We need to know that God is faithful because we know we're unfaithful. We're not as faithful as we'd like to be. And as I mentioned earlier, we know we've not been our true selves, our spirit-filled, confident selves in God, trusting in his faithfulness. 
But when it's when we've been unfaithful is when we need to know that God is faithful most. 2 Timothy 2.13 is, a, is, a, is the apostle Paul wrote is a trustworthy saying that if we're faithless, he remains faithful for he can't disown himself. God will always be faithful to what he said he would be no matter how faithful you and I are. Now, I want to begin to close with this last place in Scripture. I told you we'd look at three. And the question I want to ask before we go to this text is, how can you know for sure God's faithful? I mean, he showed up to Moses at a burning bush and told him, and he actually carried out everything that he did and said he would do for Moses, the people. He set him free, so he did what he said. He was the same. He met him on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he revealed his character and nature, his name to them as Yahweh and how he would be relationally with him. And now looking back, as um, looking back on these stories, we saw that God carried them through. He brought them into the land. He did what he said he would do. He was very faithful. But I think we need more than that. I don't know about you, but I need more than that in my life. You see, God... Um, didn't just reveal himself in the desert and on the mountain with Moses. His ultimate unveiling of the God who is faithful is found in the person of Jesus when the Father sent his Son into the world to show himself in the flesh. And the Apostle John captures God's faithfulness so great because he actually quotes um, the very verses of Exodus 34 in introducing Jesus in his gospel. He says in John 1.14, which we hear read at Christmas time and Advent season each year, that the word from the beginning, the God from that beginning, the God of creation, the God of Moses, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the language he uses there is tabernacle. He literally says Jesus dwelt and tabernacled among us like God was dwelling in the tents with Israel. And he goes in to say this. He says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This very language is language from Sinai. John is taking the language of the experience of Moses at Sinai, and he's saying this very Jesus who is in the flesh, this divine human, is that very same God who announced on the mountain, he's the faithful one who would always be, who he always will be. Because he says, we saw his glory full of grace and truth. And that word grace and truth in the Greek is the exact same language that was in the Hebrew that says that God was uh, abounding in love, covenantal faithful love and faithfulness. Full of grace and truth, full of loyal love and faithfulness. John's recalling, I love this, this moment when he's saying these words, he's recalling a moment where he too was on a mountain. For Jesus took John and James and Peter up on a mountain where he basically revealed his glory to them. And a cloud came down on that mountain. And if you're familiar with the story, or even if you're not, Moses and Elijah show up on that mountain as Jesus, the divine human, unveils the beauty of his glory, that he is the faithful God of the Old Testament. It's a beautiful putting together of all the stories. 
But in that voice in the cloud on the mountain, God the Father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to what he says. And as John wants us to make that connection to see God's faithfulness here, and now his ultimate faithfulness is seen in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, it's good news for us. Because when you listen to Jesus and you look at the rest of his life, what you see is the unfolding of God faithful to his people. You see, Jesus didn't just come and reveal the glory of the Father and his nature and his character. Um, He showed it through his daily life and the way he lived. The scriptures tell us that Jesus fully obeyed the Father. He was fully faithful where we have not been. And he would go on to atone to pay for our unfaithfulness to atone, to take on the unfaithfulness of the world, our unfaithfulness into his own body and absorb it into himself on the cross and die in our place so that he could remove the stain of unfaithfulness from our very life. I love this because Jesus didn't die to save good people. Jesus actually didn't die to save faithful people. Jesus died to save unfaithful people. And that's you. And that's me. This gives me great encouragement because Jesus, as that ultimate revelation of the faithful God, he embraced that cross. He embraced the suffering. He embraced the shame and the pain and the suffering of that moment so that you and I could actually not only be forgiven for our unfaithfulness, but actually uh, be given his Holy Spirit and actually become faithful people. You see, God doesn't just come and save us and forgive us of our sins once. He does it over and over and over again. As it's been said before, I I, I was once saved, I've been saved, but I am still being saved. And one day I will be ultimately saved. But in this in-between moment, Jesus is still saving me. From what? My unfaithfulness. The Apostle John wraps up his thoughts about this faithful one, Jesus, in 1 John, his letter, 1 John 1, 9, when he says these powerful words, he says, if we confess our sins, our unfaithfulness, we acknowledge them. Listen to what he says about this Jesus. This Jesus, he is faithful and just. He's right. And he says he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, not just some. Now, some of us think, well, God can, can, God could forgive me for maybe the little things, but maybe not the bigger things. But the truth is that God can forgive for the worst of things. And he can remove that burden and guilt and shame of our own unfaithfulness that we know too well. Now, at the beginning of my message, I said this was going to be a message that brought grace and hope, and this is why. Because his faithfulness cleanses us from our unfaithfulness. And no matter what, I'm here to proclaim to you, no matter what you've been the last 11 months in this pandemic, maybe what you've let go of, Maybe the normal part of you and the way you relate to people is healthy that has been let go of or habits or ways about you that's been let go of. I want you to know he hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten you. 
and he is able and, and, and present today in your very life and home to forgive you of all unrighteousness and restore you to being the faithful person you know you want to be and you know God's made you to be. And the first step in the, our, this transformative process, honestly, is to begin to trust and receive his faithfulness in our place. I need to know that he's faithful and fulfilled everything for me. And that he's faithful to forgive me every single day, over and over and over again. And he doesn't tire of me. He doesn't tire of you. My goodness. Now, here's the beautiful thing. I've been saying that if we can trust God's faithfulness, we become faithful people. He transforms us into being like him. And I could tell you what, can, what will happen if you'll trust God's faithfulness more and more and more in your life this year. I'm here to tell you a transformation will take place in your soul and body. And here's what will happen. The more you trust God's faithfulness in your life, the more faithful you will become to God and other people. You'll become more like the one who revealed himself at the bush, on the mountain of Moses, and on the mountain of John. You see, when I believe that God is gracious to me, did you know I become more gracious to others? When I believe God's compassionate towards me, I become more gracious to those around me and compassionate to others and their weakness and their failings and their sin. I actually become, as he says here, slow to anger. I'm not as quick to blow my stack. I'm not as quick to, uh, to just shift gears and get angry and judgmental about the smallest things or the biggest things that may hurt or pain me. I'm actually able to endure painfully, as the scripture means there, to breathe slowly through the nostrils is what it means and slow to anger. It's to endure. You see, when I believe that God's abounding in love and faithfulness to me, I actually become that to other people. When I believe God forgives me of my unfaithfulness, did you know I become more quick to forgive others in their unfaithfulness? It's amazing, isn't it? When I trust God's faithfulness to me, I actually become more faithful. I don't know about you, friends, but I know this. I want to be more like him. I want to look more like him. I want to sound more like him. And I want to treat others around me and my life the way the God who is faithful says he will always be to me. Now, how do you return? I've talked about God's faithfulness. And what will happen if I tr we trust God's faithfulness more and more of the transformation that will take place? But I want to lastly leave you with how do you orient yourselves now? How do you orient yourselves to God's faithfulness if you've lost sight of it, right? A couple things as we close. The first one is we need to repent. It's a beautiful word. It means to change our mind and begin moving in the right direction. But repentance, we need to repent for not trusting God's faithfulness and believing him actively that he's good, he's faithful, and he is this way with us. And the way we do that is by simply asking ourselves today, Holy Spirit, in what ways have I not believed or trusted your faithfulness? He'll show you. And we need to acknowledge in our repentance is how our, our lack of trust in God's faithfulness has led us to become unfaithful people. And we could simply ask the Holy Spirit, 
God, where have I been unfaithful? Where have I let go of who I really meant to be and maybe the things I meant to actually be engaged with to faithfully follow you? And the beautiful truth is you need to repent, but you need to receive his forgiveness. He's already promised. He's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive you and not just leave you that forgiven, but cleanse you, purify you, and renew your spirit to be a faithful person. The second thing I want to encourage you to do today and beginning this week is to return to faithfulness. You can, in repentance, we don't need to ask God what we did wrong, but we need to ask God, well, then how do I begin to put things right? Let's ask God, how does he want you to return to him in faithfulness? What faithfulness area has he, has he you've thrown off that he's asking you now at the beginning of 2021 to put back on faithfulness? Come clean with him. And whatever he tells you, I encourage to share with a friend. It may be your spouse, it may be your roommate, it may be uh, another church member, a friend, but we've got to share what God's saying to us so that we have community supporting and standing with us to become that faithful people. We can't do it alone. So we need to repent, receive God's forgiveness, we need to return to faithfulness, and lastly, we need to renew our mind in God's faithfulness. I encourage you this week, maybe go back and meditate on these scriptures. Um, and look at what, who God says he is and what he's like. You can even take those very words in Exodus chapter 34 and pray them into your own soul. Pray the character of God into you that you become more like him. And pray that, it, and pray that that transformation will take place in the renewing of your mind and the offering of your body. You will be made new. It's beautiful. Friends, can you imagine what kind of community will be if we trust God's faithfulness together, if we remind each other of God's faithfulness and character to each of us, and we pledge ourselves and to each other to be more faithful to God this year, can you imagine what it would look like if you and I were to image God in this character that we see today in the text? His graciousness, compassion, and slowness to anger, his love and faithfulness to our family and friends and community? I can tell you this, if we will, if we'll renew our minds, if we'll repent of the unfaithfulness of our own life and return to faithfulness with God and image this within our communities, I could tell you this, we'll end up showing the world and each other what God is like. Thank you for letting me minister to you today. I pray these words would bring you hope and grace as you seek to follow the God who's faithful.